0: to day two of the EULA Virtual Congress 2021. My name is Dr. Elaine Anikiforou. I'm a consultant rheumatologist at King's College Hospital and an adjunct senior lecturer at King's College London. I'm delighted to bring you my highlights from day two of the Congress, which included a number of sessions on rheumatoid arthritis with uh, featured abstract sessions on biological DMARDS, non-biological treatment on small molecules and prognosis predictors and outcome. In this review of the day, I will share with you uh, key abstracts uh, and chairman's picks on real-world data, clinical results in RA and other um, indications, data on difficult to treat patients and uh, pain. There's a lot I'd like to share with you, so let's get started. Following on from the wealth of real-world data that Professor Douglas Veal highlighted yesterday, um, I'd like to take you through some abstracts. The first comes from Barbulescu and colleagues and compares the, effect, the effectiveness of JAK inhibitors and biological DMAs in rheumatoid arthritis patients in Sweden. In th- this was a retrospective observational study to compare RAE patients treated with biological DMAs and JAK inhibitors in, in Sweden using the Swedish Rheumatology Quality uh, Register and outcome measures including patient characteristics at treatment start, proportions of patients remaining on therapy, and response rates at 12 months. Interestingly, in this study, JAK inhibitors showed uh, lower overall responder proportions than TNF inhibitors, retuximab, and interleukin-6 inhibitors. The take-home message from this study was that there was no significant difference in effectiveness between JAK inhibitors and biological DMAX. One of the chairman's picks, the next abstract, comes from Kalyoncu and colleagues in Turkey. This abstract assessed the real-life efficacy and safety of tofacetinib in patients with rheumatoid arthritis associated interstitial lung disease. This observational study included patients followed at eight different centres that participated in the TREASURE database. This was an observational study across the eight centres uh, participating in the TREASURE database, the key results were as follows. RA patients with interstitial lung disease receiving tofacitinib were mostly male, older, and had higher baseline disease activity as compared with those without ILD. The most common reason for discontinuation in RA-ILD was infections uh, seen in about a quarter of patients. Follow-up duration under tofacitinib was 15 and 11 months in ILD positive and ILD negative groups respectively. So the take home message from this study is that pulmonary function remains stable in the majority of patients during follow-up. Tofacitinib may be a promising therefore option for RA-ILD. Hernandez Cruz and colleagues from Spain presented data from a multi-center real-world dataset comparing the safety profile of JAK inhibitors versus TNF inhibitors in patients with rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis and psoriatic arthritis. This is another of the CSF chairman's picks. I recommend you access all these presentations online if you haven't been able to see them yet. So, this study showed that Jack inhibitor patients were older and with a mean disease duration of 10 years. Jack inhibitors were prescribed as first line treatment in about a quarter of the patients. The main reason for stopping treatment was ineffectiveness, followed by adverse events, and survival during the first year was similar between groups. So, in conclusion, serious infections and herpes zoster tend to be more frequent in patients uh, on JAK inhibitors. However, patients on JAK inhibitors in this uh, study were older, presented higher comorbidity, and uh, had a longer disease duration. Stromfeld and colleagues presented our final chairman's pick of the real world data. They analyzed data from a cohort of RA patients aged uh, 70 or older, enrolled in the German rabbit registry with a new start of a DMAD after at least one conventional synthetic DMAD failure. The analysis aimed to assess whether there was an increased risk of serious infections in older patients when receiving biological DMAD or JAK inhibitors compared with conventional synthetic DMAD treatment. And this study concluded that treatment with JAK inhibitors or biological DMATs was not associated with an increased risk of uh, serious uh, incidents in elderly patients above 70 years of age. And this was uh, reassuring. In my final selection of real-world data from day two, Bergman and colleagues aimed to describe the patient characteristics and outcomes in patients with rheumatoid arthritis treated with upadacitinib, using data from the OM1-RA registry. The key results in this study were as follows. The majority of patients were female, uh, that was around 83%, and had prior treatment with biologic, that was three-quarters of the patients. The mean change in CDI was uh, minus 5.1 in the monotherapy group and minus 5.9 in the combination group post-upadicitinib initiation. Okay, so the main take-home message from this study was that upadicitinib provided sustained significant improvements in disease activity regardless of monotherapy, combination therapy or prior targeted immunomodulatory drug therapy. Similarly to yesterday, there was a good amount of clinical data in rheumatoid arthritis presented at the Congress. The next highlighted abstract is another chairman's pick. This one comes from Charles Scheumann and colleagues and uses data from the Phase three Select Clinical Program to describe integrated laboratory abnormality profiles of upaticitinib with up to 4.5 years exposure in patients with rheumatoid arthritis. So the main message from this study was that upa treated patients showed dose-dependent relationships for several lab abnormalities, uh, which were typically higher in the upa 15 uh, group than Adalimumab, but similar to methotrexate, except for uh, elevations in creatinine phosphokinase. There was an interesting poster presented by uh, Van Lint and colleagues. Um, In this study, they assessed the adverse events of JAK inhibitors on glucose levels in diabetic patients with rheumatic diseases and other immune-mediated inflammatory diseases. The results have implications for the management of patients with diabetes when starting a JAK inhibitor. So the key results in this study were as follows. Hypoglycemia and decreased blood glucose was reported in 16 and 15 patients respectively. Um, increased insulin sensitivity was described as a suspected adverse drug reaction of baricitinib in one case. Additionally, in six cases, there were improvements of glycemic control described after discontinuation or dose reduction of the JAK inhibitor or, the or an anti diabetic drug. So in conclusion, JAK inhibitors uh, may induce hypoglycemia by increasing insulin sensitivity and consequently may reduce the need for anti-diabetic medication. This was the main message from this study. There were a number of our presentations today which interrogated data from large rheumatoid arthritis clinical trial programs. Professor Peter Taylor's group presented a poster investigating whether there are improvements in patient-reported outcomes Across all disease activity levels, when baricitinib is compared to placebo or adalimumab in rheumatoid arthritis, data for this analysis were derived from the RA BEAM Phase 3 study. The main concluding message from this study was as follows: This study showed that um, patients using baricitinib 4 milligrams Uh, may experience greater improvement in patient-reported outcomes than placebo or adalimumab, regardless of disease activity status, after 12 weeks. Bergman and colleagues evaluated the impact of upadicitinib versus comparators over 60 weeks on the routine assessment of patient index data 3, known as RAPID3, in a post-hoc analysis of the placebo-controlled and active comparator-controlled studies in the select clinical trial program. The correlation of RAPID-3 scores with other disease measures in the Select Phase 3 clinical trial program was also evaluated. The key results were as follows. There was improvement in RAPID-3 observed with upadicitinib 15 milligrams and 30 milligrams through week 60, with numerically greater improvements compared with active comparators. RAPID-3 scores uh, were moderately to strongly correlated with CDI. SDI and DAS28 uh, using CRP across all studies at week 60, all with a P-value of less than 0.001. In conclusion, this study uh, showed that upadicitinib as a mono or combination therapy was associated with improvements in patient reported disease activity, pain and physical function as assessed by RAPIP-3 over 60 weeks. Clinical responses to padicitinib or in patients with rheumatoid arthritis by number and mechanism of action of prior biologic DMAD were investigated by Rupert Roth and colleagues. Data was collected as part of the phase 3 select choice study of patients with inadequate response or intolerance to biologic DMADs. So the key message from this study was that Upatacitinib led to greater clinical responses versus abatacept at week 12, including in patients with uh, loss of efficacy to TNF inhibitors or interleukin-6 inhibitors, and those with inadequate response or intolerance to one, two, or three or more prior biological DMARDs. Moving away from rheumatoid arthritis for a moment, Day 2 has given us great uh, presentations of clinical results in indications other than RA. I'd like to share with you my top picks from the day, focusing on ankylosing spondylitis and psoriatic arthritis. The first is also one of Ian McInnes' chairman's uh, picks of the Congress, and comes from Diodar and colleagues who report the efficacy and safety of upaticitinib in patients with ankylosing spondylitis from the select AXIS study. The one-year results were presented and showed uh, sustained and consistent efficacy of upadicitinib 15 milligrams four times daily. This study concludes that the use of upadicitinib 15 mg uh, once a day showed sustained and consistent efficacy over one year, even in patients initially randomized to placebo. Staying with ankylosis spondylitis, my next highlight is also a chairman's pick. Baraliakos and colleagues undertook a post hoc analysis to evaluate the effects of filgotinib on spinal lesions over 12 weeks in the Tortuga trial. MRI data on spinal inflammation and structural lesions were examined. This was the first placebo-controlled trial to demonstrate a decrease in inflammatory activity with filgotinib in the spinal vertebrae and the posterolateral elements of the spine and the facet joints. The last of my selection of clinical results from day two comes from Professor Lorgo sex group and is an interesting investigation into the link between probable depression and or anxiety, inflammation, and tough acetinib effectiveness in patients with psoriatic arthritis. This was a post hoc analysis of data pulled from two phase three uh, trials, the Opal Broaden and Opal Beyond. In this study, patients with a major depressive disorder or a generalized anxiety disorder at baseline uh, who were treated with tofacitinib, showed a sustained change in their SF36 MCS. Pain management is an important area for clinical practice and providing the best possible care for our patients was featured in several abstracts presented today. I encourage you to try to find the opportunity to seek out the abstracts on pain if you you weren't able to see them live. They really do provide an insight into what our patients are experiencing and ways in which we can support them. My first pick is an abstract from Gwyneth and colleagues from the UK and France who identified a subgroup of people with rheumatoid arthritis characterised by high levels of disability despite low inflammation. The results underline the need for pain and fatigue management even when inflammation is low. It was interesting to see in this study that at baseline the high hack groups in both the nor S- nor UK cohort and the SQR French cohort were older had a higher proportion of women and had higher levels of fatigue too. So this study concludes that there is a group of people with RA with high levels of disability despite low inflammation. My final pick of the day uh, two content focus on pain in our CSF Meet the Expert uh, session supported by Lilly. How to provide patients remission they can feel. This was with Professors Hendrik schulz and Bernard Kuhl. Professor schultz Koops described remission in rheumatoid arthritis and reviewed which definition provides patients with remission they can feel. Professor Coombe followed this with a presentation focused on the results of studies that demonstrate that pain improvement is a key goal for patients and that pain can persist despite achieving low disease activity or remission. The discussion provided some fascinating insights. Do make an effort to catch this one if you've missed it. It's only half an hour and well worth a watch. Similarly to yesterday, there were some interesting and engaging industry-sponsored sessions today. There were two Meet the Expert sessions of note. The first, supported by Pfizer, featured Professor Gerd Rudiger-Boomester and Professor Laura Coates discussing personalising patient care. Reflections on the place of JAK inhibitors in rheumatology. The Up to meet the Expert session was an interactive clinical case discussion on optimizing disease outcomes with the use of JAK inhibitors in the management of RA and SPA, led by Professor Andrea Rupert Roth and Dr. Janet Pope. These half an hour sessions are a great bite sized insight into pertinent co- topics and always have a good level of discussion. There were two symposiums of interest uh, today. Our CSF Symposium on COVID-19, supported by AbbVie and the management of patients with rheumatic musculoskeletal diseases, was chaired by Professor Leonard Calabrese and included presentations from Professors Kimi Heyrich, Robert Landewer and Chris Edwards. This was a fascinating session with discussion of what we have learned from COVID-19 Global Registries, treatment guidance for patients with RA in the COVID-19 era, and what the new normal may look like in terms of telemedicine and communication. I conclude my summary of today's highlights of ULR 2021 with the second of the Galapagos symposiums in Darwin's footsteps. You will recall we featured the first in this series yesterday. Today's symposium was chaired by Professor Maxim Dugados and explored the role of JAK inhibitors within the diverging array treatment landscape. Professor Dugados was joined by Professor Ricky uh, Alten, Dr. Kevin Withrop and Professor Ernest Choi, who covered exploration of living with rheumatoid arthritis and translating clinical features of different treatments to meet uh, patient needs. Thank you for joining me for this summary of the day two highlights from the Congress. I have really enjoyed sharing some of the pics of the content with you. If you haven't already you can download our EULA 2021 highlights brochure from cytokinesignaling.com to see the abstracts that we've selected for you for the whole of the congress along with Ian McInnes chairman's picks. Uh, Professor Douglas Ville will be back with you tomorrow with his highlights from day three and I will be back on Saturday with a roundup from the final day. Until then keep enjoying the congress. <laughs>